Any any questions, thoughts, um, anything from this morning? I will prime the pump then. I got a question at the end of ABF last week from somebody who's not here this week, Naomi Olsgaard, but I thought it was a good enough question. It was worth answering, so I'll, I'll throw that out and then try to take a swing and, at the ball and see what you guys think to get things rolling. Her question was... Um, dealing specifically last week with giving people heavy burdens and the Pharisees and how there was judgmentalism, um, and even and even um, even dealing with another question right at the very end of ABF last week was, uh, if Jesus so condemns um, the Pharisees for pointing the finger at others, um, is it right, should Christians be speaking out and taking public stands, should we be building monuments, as it were, for the sin of unbelievers, for the sin not in the church, but for the sin of, of unbelievers, specifically your questions related to um, gay marriage. And so what's the rationale? I think it's a good question to think through. On what rationale are we speaking out against? Are we um, you know, taking stands publicly as many Christians are on this issue, and by and large, we're dealing with a pagan, unbelieving culture and world. So that's the question. I think I know how I'd answer that, but I will let um, others swing at the ball first. And I think we've got our first person up to bat. So there we go. I kind of have the same type of question. Uh, teacher, which is better, being a hip- hypocrite or being lukewarm? <laughs> um, no. Uh, <laughs> um, please don't call me teacher. Um, you're not in very good company if you do. Oh, no, actually, the disciples and the fair. Okay, fair enough. Okay, I'm not. In, okay, yeah, I don't want to go there. Are those the only two options? Although I suppose those options presuppose the answer to the previous question, because it seems like you're saying either being a hypocrite and lukewarm would be saying nothing. So is it, is it being lukewarm? Let me answer your question. The question, is it being lukewarm to not get engaged politically? Is the answer we ought not to? What do you think? Greg Sweet to the rescue. Well, I guess the way I would answer that, it seems to me that we even though maybe our goal isn't to speak to the sin of unbelievers who are, after all, just doing what they are primed to do, uh, but rather we stand up for truth Uh uh, in order to honor God who has given us truth. And so we stand up for that that purpose, Not not to necessarily condemn unbelievers' activities, uh, but rather to, to say that if that activity is directly uh, against what God has said, that we, we, we uphold the truth for God's sake. Okay, that's good. Anyone want to add one with that? I'm, I'm trying not to, I don't want to give my thoughts too soon. Anybody? Oh, Lee Carpenter has an opinion. Wonders never well, cease. my opinion is, I don't think the government should be mixed up in marriage at all. Except, but, that, but I know that's a whole big can of worms because the children and legal, blah, blah. But my theory is... She's is that, very sympathetic with that argument. <laughs> my theory is that marriage is between... my. I mean, I believe, of course, it's between a man and a woman and God. And 
then so when people like like Greg said that are unbelievers, they want to do what they want to do. Yeah, they're going to do it and call it. They can call it marriage, but it won't be a true marriage. So I mean, I don't know. There's I have two. I'm of two minds of the sense that I, in a way, I don't care because it doesn't affect my marriage, and I don't believe that. Oh, it'll affect your marriage. No, it won't. So okay, I don't know. I don't. Oh no, this is list. great. This is great. The pot is being stirred. <laughs> Anyone want to add to that or? Oh, Dan Barth. I, I guess I'd kind of come down in the camp of being hypocritical because we're all going to be hypocritical. It's too easy to sit back and say, I don't want to be accused of being hypocritical, therefore I'm not going to say anything. Right. But like yes, Dad, what Greg was saying, you know, if we're standing for truth, we know that we're sinners and hypocrites. They don't know that. And, and they're going to judge us based on that. Um, but if we're if we're standing for truth, I think they believe if they know anything, they believe that they know that we're sinners and hypocrites. Yeah, I, I mean, whether or not they have basis for that, that's absolutely, I think, how they would view us. You're right, You're right. But we know that we can be forgiven for it, and they right. they'll condemn us forever for it. We know that they're right for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I am a sinner and a hypocrite, but it's just not for the reasons you think. Yeah. Um, no, no. Okay, so now we got two two opposing views. Oh. We've got, whoa, 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 no, you've got to play by the rules. Microphone. I guess the, uh, uh, the state seems to have a role in governing sexuality, like with theft and those sort of things. Mm. And John the Baptist was kind of the last prophet, but he lost his head because he called out for sexual morality of the king, Herod. Mm-hmm. So I guess not that trying to find an instance of other apostles calling out the civil authority mm. saying what you're doing's wrong and suffer the consequences for mm. it indeed excellent oh zeb is now going to weigh in okay this is i thought this was gonna be a good discussion we have all kinds of records of prophets calling out civil magistrates in the old testament that's like if like ezekiel is like what, over and over and over what form of chapters. government were they calling out prophets were they calling people out and what form of government were they in when they did that it was it was the theocratic well there we go theocracy oh, well, well, hold on hold on oh, in, Eze- okay. in in ezekiel it yeah. was a staged government that was set up by the babylonians yes so it was by no yeah. means oh, a, no, a, like a legitimate theocracy i just i just want to make sure that we see it's not an absolute one to one comparison no of course but that doesn't not. mean you don't have a point continue but no my my point is simply that the governing class is still to be called to account by the word of god and as christians um, we know that Jesus Christ, as, as the Apostle Paul says, basically to the intelligentsia of the, of the Romans, that um, he has commanded all men everywhere to repent, and so we should be calling all men everywhere to repent. Okay, good, good. Oh, in the back, Zach. For those of you listening, the microphones are moving. It, um, taking the public stand on things doesn't necessarily need to be on Facebook or something like that, but it what? seems like, uh, I know, I guess that's kind of the only way anymore, but um, like doing that could be helpful for other Christians because as our culture becomes more secular and um, people growing up in that could be led astray by the mm. 
you know, dominant position of yeah. uh, the government and, and things like that. So speaking out against it can help other believers from being led astray by that thinking. Okay, we've got all types of opinions. This is fantastic. Oh, Ron Ludwig. In, oh, my, there we go. in my line of work, I deal a lot with, um, unfortunately, with um, the government and um, a lot of the, um, I don't know it's proper term, but um, political correctiveness. Uh-huh. And I've always felt obligated to um, point out my position, even though um, I frequently am ostracized. I still continue to do that um, just because I don't feel, I feel obligated to point out God's position based upon his word, not based upon Ron Ludwig's opinion. Uh. And so when people have confronted me, for example, with um, abortion and so forth, I try and prepare myself by using scripture as a means to disarm them so that they're not arguing with Ron Ludwig, but with Mm. God. Mm. That's good. That's good. Oh, Candy Jackson. I may never get to set everyone straight. Well, I just... <laughs> I'll great. take the keys of knowledge. Thank you very much. Um, I just think that each of us are supposed to speak the truth. Just as a parent, how do I not speak the truth to my kids and then speak it to their friends? But there's, you know, we're blessed to have the kids at home homeschooled, but there are so many kids that are faced with the lie every single day that put down their throats all day long. So if they're not hearing the truth in the homes and by us, how will they hear the truth? Okay. That's good. That's good. Let me let me further complicate the matter. Should all sin be crime? And should all crime be sin? What I mean is, do we want what's the role of the government? What is the role of our law to do? Because Paul uses the general statement as a punisher of evildoers and a rewarder of those who do good. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you would you want the government to criminalize everything God calls a sin? Understand there would be the end of religious tolerance. Right? There would be no religious tolerance. God has a lot of things to say about the wickedness about false religion. That'd be right out the bat. We'd have sins against pride. We'd have, sin, we'd have crimes against of coveting. You'd be arrested for coveting. You'd be arrested for gossip. You could be, you could be arrested for all manner of things. But the first thing I want to make is this. Just because something is a sin, there's not necessarily, I don't think, I mean, maybe if you want to be a theonomist or something, you disagree with me. They wouldn't. No, of course not. Well, okay. No, Ah, I'm using my. <laughs> See, he knows the rules. Sorry. Um, for the recording, theonomists, and for anyone who's not familiar with the nature of theonomy, it's a it's sort of a subset of. It's usually Presbyterianism. It's a, the idea that um, that basically the the law of God should be the law of the land. Um, under theonomy, there is there is definitely no i no no position that says that every sin should be against the law okay. because in the mosaic covenant there were things that were sins even even you look through say like um example of fabric you're not supposed to have mixed fabrics there was no punishment for that it wasn't it was a sin it was okay. a it was a law okay. but it wasn't a a punishable offense but they would be in favor of like the death penalty for sabbath breaking not that's going to depend some some would some would not okay 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 fair enough thank you for the clarification 
Okay. So that's the first thing we got to think through is, do we want all sins to become crimes? I don't think we do. So then we got to ask, okay, which sins do we want to be crimes? And there are some things that we criminalize that in and of themselves aren't sinful. There's nothing inherently wicked about driving 90 miles per hour in a vehicle made to handle that on a road designed to to handle that. It only becomes sinful when the government says you can't, and then you break it because now you're disobeying the government. So we, we criminalize things that are not in and of themselves inherently wicked, and we don't want all sin to be illegal. So what's the basis then? We, we have to think this through, and these are difficult questions, and you've got the spectrum from libertarians all the way over to, who'd you put at the other end? Marxist. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's the question you got to ask. And, and here, I don't have a straightforward answer. I can tell you what I like. I generally like laws that deal with injustice, where, where what I'm doing affects somebody else. So now, all sin affects God. But theft, I take someone's property, I've hurt them. Um, pride, it might be irritating to you, but I don't see a victim horizontally to pride. Um, and so when you think that through, then the gay marriage issue gets tough because who's the victim? You can say they're victims of each other's sin. Oh, Serena's got the answer. But I hope we'd be in favor of criminalizing adultery, criminalizing immorality. We'd make it illegal for people to sleep together who aren't married, right? They're all in the defense of marriage. Or do we only pick those areas that we don't struggle with to, to criminalize. And the parts that we do, we got to give ourselves... That's the date. That's exactly what the Pharisees did, giving, writing loopholes. I just want to... I'm just pressing to show this is difficult because I would argue that if you want to criminalize gay marriage, you ought to be ready to criminalize adultery, immorality, pornography. It was a crime at one point. I mean, our land, absolutely. Absolutely it was. I, I just... What I, my point is, if Jesus' charge is... In the inconsistency of, of virtue signaling, I just want to challenge us to think that through. Now, Serena, what's your answer to that? Well, you said the, there's no victim with gay marriage, mm-hmm. except for because it's legalized, they're allowed to adopt. And so children who are raised yeah. that way have yeah. a much harder um, time learning about gender roles that are appropriate. Right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you and, my... And uh, uh, ask Baronel. I can't remember her last name, the florist, because oh, yeah. it's legalized. Yeah, yeah. It's been able to shut down yeah. people yeah. who don't want to participate in the weddings. Right. For, for whatever it's worth, and I, I won't die on this hill and I won't say chapter and verse. For me, my biggest concerns of the gay marriage issue are much more the peripheral issues, peripheral issues like adoption, like what seems to be the case now, I will be required and demanded to affirm something. And I will be punished if I don't affirm the validity. Is this, yes, this is marriage. And if I refuse to say that, I can be, it's the new sort of blasphemy law. Um, in, in general, as far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't be in favor of the government criminalizing what two consenting adults do. As much as God will punish that, I personally would not be in favor of criminalizing that. I, I can, I'm not going to die on that hill at all. So my concerns are much more having to do with the secondary peripheral issues. But you can feel free to disagree with me. This is not something I'm chapter and versing. Greg. Jeremy, you've co-opted the question. Oh. You asked the question, should we speak out against these things? Yeah. Now you're arguing whether we should put people in jail for it. So that's, that's a whole different question, it would seem to me. 
Sorry, I'm assuming that the issue is with the Obergefell decision is the issue of is this legal? Is this a legal marriage or is this an illegal, by, by implication, illegal marriage? Does the government recognize this or not recognize this? That's where I'm thinking of the criminalization factor coming in. Um, so, f- no, fair enough. I have taken it a step beyond, but that's the whole issue. And those who on the other side would view not having it recognized is criminalizing it, or at the very least, the government frowns upon or looks down upon. Their whole point is they want equality. Um, so, so that's that's why I'm equating. But I, I get your point. I have moved it a little bit. You want to oh, microphone? Microphone. You'd be surprised. There's people who listen to this who are very thankful for the questions being asked. It used to be there'd be this sort of long silence, and then me saying no about five or six times, <laughs> and then. And then I just start talking. So, so please. But use the what bothers me so much is we have to respect their rights. But yet, if I decide I don't want to bake a cake right. for them, then I'm going to be punished. So that's invading my rights. Right. I don't like the wishy-washiness. Mm. You know. No, I, that's that's when I say that I'm concerned. The peripheral issues are what concern me. It's things like that. How's this going to play out? Now, the biggest challenge that we're figuring out right now in our country is whether the first or the second amendment takes priority, and where erotic liberty, and that's honestly the term that's being used, fits into this, um, and how these when these when these liberties seem to be at tension, because um, I think by and large we agree that. Um, that bigotry and prejudice is bad, by and large. Um, so then the people, of course, on the other side are assuming that anything, I wouldn't bake a cake, is bigotry and prejudice. So where does that tension play out? And uh, it's, it's, it's a sticky wicket because um, we, we... I won't go there. Okay. Um, that would really be a can of worms. Yes? That same-sex marriage, there's a a huge argument is the definition of what that word means right. where they're trying to apply meaning to it mm-hmm. that is uh, physically, legally doesn't exist, but they're saying we want to be called this. Right. And that's where my concern is fundamentally with what I need to do. Because if they want to call it, you know, gibberty jam, I don't, I don't really care. If somebody wants to make something up and say, hey, look at me, I'm flying while they're walking around on the ground, I don't care. It's only when the government says, I have to agree they're flying that I care. So right. I, I get what you're saying, but it's well, like... Well, the, the extension is, it's not to say they want the liberty to have this financial, social relationship, right. is to destroy what you hold as a monogamous relationship and to have that wiped off the culture. Right. Well, that, that's, that's the point. Whenever there's a culture revolution, first, you, you, I forget, Al Mohler talks about this progression, but you end up with the vilification of the old view. So if it was simply, hey, there's some people that think of marriage differently than you do, and we're not going to demand that they think what you think, and we're not going to demand vice versa, that's one thing. But what we're seeing happening is the totalitarianism of this new view. It's not enough to tolerate the new view. You have to affirm and amen the new view, or you will be wiped off, like you said, the, the playing field. So if it was simply a matter of, hey, there are these folks who want to you know, marry their house. Uh, there's actually a case on record with that. And I'm kind of like, if that's what floats your boat, okay. Like, I don't see why that should be a matter of the law. Now, if I, the second I have to affirm that, or I have to agree with that, that's a whole different thing. Um, no, no, Gary's not asking a question. He's, oh, Ron's back well, at the mic. I, I hate to agree with you in public, but I think you... <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you've hit the nail on the head with the cultural thing. You have to look at the motive for the gay lesbians' um, reason for gay marriage. It's just step one into in an effort to destroy the Christian foundation mm. that this country is founded on. Mm. And so I see that happening um, very frequently, and it's just that's what the motive is. The motive isn't to be able to get married. The motive is to destroy, destroy Christian ethics right. that our country was founded on. Let me, yes, let me, let me say one more thing. What complicates it further is we live in a, um, a democratic republic, a representative democracy, where the Caesar wants to know what we think. And, and wants our voice in making policy. And so we live in a different scenario than a, a king or a monarch who does not ask us what we think. And that makes it more challenging. I, I want to add one more point to this, which is I think that as we do, and I think there are forums and places where it's appropriate to, to speak out and say what you think and make it be known what stand you take. I, I certainly don't think it's wrong in the right circumstances to do that. I would advise a certain amount of humility or understanding, because here's what the unbelieving world sees. What the unbelieving world sees is in the 1970s, all 50 states passed no-fault divorce laws. I would suggest to you that is just as much of a redefinition of what marriage is as gay marriage, because marriage stops being a covenant, and it becomes a contract. Radically different things. Um, where was the church outcry about the sacredness of marriage then? I'm not aware of it largely happening. And then the Christian, the world sees, and I know that Barna's poll results get challenged. I, I get that. But the world thinks and sees that by and large, the church is about the same in its divorce rates as the world. I know that that's challenged, that Barna's definition of who's a Christian is, is sketched. I'm saying that's what they see. And then all of a sudden, the church comes out when it doesn't cost us anything. And what I mean by anything is we don't have to change the way we live. And all of a sudden, we take this moral stand that marriage is sacred. It's an institution of God. And the culture looks at us and says, where the heck were you in the 70s saying that? Oh, because that would have messed with your stuff. Because you wouldn't be able to have the divorces you wanted. Because you wouldn't be able to bend the rules the way you wanted. So the culture has a very hard time taking us seriously and not viewing us as immense hypocrites when all of a sudden we talk about the sacredness of marriage. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but a certain level of sympathy for how that's perceived, and I think to a certain degree justly, we simply have not been known, by and large, as the people who really, really take marriage seriously. So when all of a sudden we come out and we're like, this is sacred, this is a bridge too far, the culture thinks, yeah, right, yes, JP. So um, I agree with you that we were the predominant cult that informed the culture, and at best our abdication of that role, or at worst our capitulation to the few loud voices that we hear has given us this mess. And so we ought to turn to the church and call them first to repentance, then they can, in their second sphere of influence, vote according to their yeah. conscience, yeah. and then we can legislate the way that we ought. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why I try to make it such a point that we don't want to be reading the Bible about those people out there. Sure, I could, I could talk to you through all the different religions. We could spend the whole morning on Roman Catholicism and how they venerate the saints and kill the saints, and we could go through all the people they've killed and made... 
that, that doesn't help the point. It just makes us feel self-righteous and smug. I mentioned it briefly just as an example, but I want to spend the time, okay, how, how are we in danger of doing this? Because I think the biggest way we're in danger of becoming this is when we stop asking the question, how are we in danger of becoming this? So, yeah, I, I think it can be appropriate to do that, but I, I, I at least try to do it with a certain amount of understanding why the culture has such a hard time taking us seriously on this point. It'd be, I mean, like, to take the Amish. Everyone gets that the Amish believe what they believe. They're, they're pretty, I mean, we know about the double standards and stuff, but these people live without cell phones, electricity, and they drive horse buggy carriages, which is why they keep winning the court cases, that demand them to get things off the road, because nobody thinks they're hypocrites on that point. They really mean and really intend to drive stinking horse carriages. And so every time it gets challenged because they're unsafe, they, they have consistently won in the cases where that's gone because no one thinks they're full of it. No one thinks this is a pretense. No one thinks this is, you're saying one thing, but really you're doing it for another reason. We don't have that type of credibility when we talk about marriage, by and large, as, as a church. Now, individual Christians, individual congregations might, but by and large, the church in the West has lost that credibility because when we were in control, when, the, when we were a Judeo-Christian country, we, we did not prize and cherish marriage. When, when we had our turn at the wheel, no one grumbled. When Reagan, I love Reagan's economic policy, but Reagan was the first um, um, governor to introduce no-fault divorce laws in California in the 70s. And within 12 years, every other state in the union had passed them. It went from the fact that you had to prove a crime took place to get a divorce you had to prove some crime, abuse, adultery was a crime back then as well. You had to, there had to be a measure of evidence and a, and a magistrate had to agree to, to dissolve the marriage covenant to now simply we have irreconcilable differences. And nobody, nobody cried up about that. I mean, no one with any loud voice. The church by and large didn't. So as we speak up, I would just encourage a certain amount of understanding and a certain amount of humility that, yeah... <laughs> We, our tribe is hypocritical on this point. It doesn't make what's right not right, and it doesn't make what's wrong not wrong. It just means we should have a certain lack of, how dare you, you know, and a certain amount of brokenness as we deal with it. But anyway, any other thoughts on this topic? Oh, hold on, microphone's coming. Clark. I guess back in the day, I have a hard time Understanding why, you know, back in the day we uh, we had religions within the U.S. even that that allowed for multiple women to be married to one man, but yet here we don't make a stand on gay marriage, which is just as bad, probably worse. I I'm not sure if that's accurate. I, I was just reading um, I was just reading or listening to the church history, and they're just going through the foundation of Mormonism. And from what I understand, the second the culture became aware of the polygamy and Mormonism, it was outlawed, which is one of the reasons why they had to flee to Utah to get away from that. And under immense, massive political pressure from the other states, um, they had to technically abandon that teaching. I'm not aware that polygamy has been legal in the states, but. But ever, I don't believe it's ever been illegal in the States. Um, I'm pretty sure the Mormons fled to Utah because of the persecution they were getting because of it. Is that microphone? Mic microphone. They had to abandon, or they had to officially outlaw polygamy to become For Utah a to be made a state. Yeah, to be, to, to, for yeah. them to be, um, to have statehood, they had to abandon, or outlaw it. It still occurs even today, right. um, but it's just kind of... People hush, look, hush. yeah, it's kind of under yeah. the radar. People but, look the other but way. But your point is valid. We, we've we've tolerated and legalized so many perversions of marriage that that yeah, 
it, again, it looks awfully suspicious when this is the one we won't bend on. Um, that's all. And I, I just think a certain amount of understanding, if you're wondering why does the culture have such a hard time with this, that's why. And it doesn't change what's right and wrong, doesn't change what we should do, but a certain amount of humility and a certain amount of, yeah, um, I get why you're having a hard time taking it seriously on this, is, is all I'm recommending. Oh, Mr. Kingery, with the microphone. Do you, in light of what you just said, that uh, our, our disregard for marriage maybe homosexuality in the in its in its emergence in this society might be a judgment call a wake up oh, yeah. for us is well, that possible yeah. or is that absolutely no, good go to Romans 1 this is a point that i think is again as a church we should remember um, when a culture is given over to homosexuality it is actually not biblically presented as much as a thing god will judge but rather the judgment itself um, not that God won't judge sin, but in Romans 1, um, homosexuality is the judgment. So Romans 1, the, the flow of the argument um, goes like this. In verses 16 through um, 17, Paul lays out his thesis for the entire book. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Paul enters into his first major point, for the wrath of God is revealed. See, the gospel reveals God's righteousness, but then Paul enters into what will begin in 118, all the way through 321, will be, why is God angry? Because the gospel is the remedy to why is God angry and, and God's anger. And Paul will lay out his charge. We'll look at that in a moment. But then starting in verse 24, he starts to show you God's response to the thing we do that God's angry about. And he, you get a threefold judgment, 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Verse 28, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse tw- I mean, 26, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. So you get the flow. The charge... The prosecution's charge is found in verses 18 to 23, and what follows is God's response. I want you to notice that that the homosexuality issue comes up in verse 24 through 27 as God's response. Therefore God gave them up from the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Now, notice the language that they were, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. For this reason, the reason being that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations for women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless. Paul's argument here. It was when a culture is given over to this, it's the sign of God's judgment. It's the evidence that God has given a culture over to something. So um, even while we're opposing and trying to withstand something, recognize this is a judgment from God. And you go back to what God's angry at. It's much more univocal in its condemnation of all of us. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without an excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. The logic is this. Spiritually, every single one of us outside of Christ saw the evidence of God in creation, and we exchanged the natural function that we were made for, to relate to him, to worship and be thankful to him, for worshiping and serving the creature and the creation. So we are engaged in this unnatural exchange. We are made with a function corresponding to God. We are corresponding to that, and we exchange that for something unnatural. And then God in judgment says, okay, I'm going to give you over so that some of you will vividly and grossly act out that exchange amongst yourselves. In other words, it's supposed to be a picture. Homosexuality and lesbianism is supposed to be a picture of what we're all doing spiritually apart from Christ. The language is unmistakable. They, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed, amen. For this reason, because they exchanged this, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Do you see how this is a um, vivid picture physical picture of what's going on spiritually. And it's a judgment from God. We should probably be asking the more foundational question, why has God given us this judgment in addition to dealing with the judgment? Um, which is, again, why there's a problem. Again, if, if we want to redefine marriage in our own terms, say, so that a husband doesn't need to be take seriously the shepherding task and leading so that a wife doesn't have to take seriously the task of following her husband's leadership so that parents don't hold children to biblical standards. If we want to redefine marriage, we're guilty of the exact same thing the gay marriage movement's doing. See, they say marriage exists for our purposes to suit our needs and desires, and we want it to look like this. And we say, we'll just do the same thing. We'll just redefine what a husband is. We'll redefine what a wife is. We'll redefine what parents are. We'll redefine what marriage is to suit us. And then the culture basically says to us, you've been doing that for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Why can't we do it? And they, they say it's unfair. We need to recognize the danger of, of that. Microphone. Oh, and then Carol. Mike, then Carol. Visitors first. Guess, not visitors. Guess. Yes. Yes. Oh, the, go. the comment about it being the same thing, I don't know if you can make that equivalent. We are guilty of moral hypocrisy. But because we're accused of moral hypocrisy doesn't mean um, broken marriages is the same as recognizing sodomy as a legal family unit. No, no, so, let, I mean, let, me, let me say what I mean more clearly, because I do mean what I say. I'll say it more clearly. In a marriage, not where it's broken and they're fighting, but where they're happy to redefine it. Where the wife says it works better for us that I'm the head of the home. It just works better for us. That's better for us. I'd say they're doing something worse. Because the physical correspondence in marriage is only there to picture the spiritual correspondence. The gay marriage person wants to alter and change and reform the physical correspondence. The family where the husband and wife are at peace with 
changing those rules, not struggling, not fighting. They're at peace. They've redefined, have actually changed the real thing, which the physical only corresponds to. That'd be my thought is if is which, what's greater, the sign of the thing or the thing? Well, it, it was, it, when they tried to trip Christ up on the question of divorce, you know, Christ laid out clearly, yeah. it's not so in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And God in his mercy through our civil laws tries to kind of hedge in the destruction with there's biblical divorce. There's, you know, and right. whether in 72 he said, okay, no fault. Were we kind of tweaking what God had already said? It's like, this is a pretty serious relationship. I don't think that's morally equivalent to uh, legalizing homosexual union. From their view, they're saying it's all the same, but because we're we're hypocritical, we can be criticized, but it doesn't mean it's equivalent. It's, It's... I'm just looking at the notion of taking a covenant is something that you only get out of in certain cases, and there's a certain burden of evidence required to... Hey, here's this thing, marriage, and it lasts as long as both of you want it to. That, that's, that's what I'm looking at as the redefining. Is no fault. We don't even care why you're leaving. You want to leave? Okay, cool. You know, like this, but which is where things are at now. You don't have to give like evidence or testimony or reasons. Just not working for me. Okay, fine. That's not a covenant we're talking about anymore. We're talking about a contract. But I mean, I won't die on the hill of which is the greater breaking of it. I think they're both. Would you agree they're both very significant alterations to marriage? Yeah, though this in seventies call it the, the the threshold of allowing people to be divorced got lowered significantly. It was still recognized as marriage, and it was still due process, although a lot lighter than it used mm. to be. But that's changing the definition is a huge. And, it, and I agree with you in Romans. It is a symptom of rebelling against God, right, and maybe right. as Christians, a Christian community. You have to go for the juggler saying, we're having this discussion because we hate God. It's not, we're talking about pleasure. We're not talking about, you know, 1040, the box you check on the 1040. Right. You hate God. Right. And we've got the gospel. And then we go in the state house. We go, okay, then you have to look at the, the legal arguments because, right. you know, as Paul would say, is it lawful for you to do this to chain me? You know, then we have to argue as lawyers. Yeah, yeah. But as, as saints, we're arguing stop hating God, repent. Right. And all I want to add to that is we're doing that from the context of we are not so good at this either. <laughs> that, that's, that's all I'm... If our stance is that, like, look, we know this is hard, and we know the standard God's calling to is difficult, and we know we're failing miserably at it, but we can't agree with this. I am only cringing when I detect... And I'm getting back to, and I'm, I'm colluding thoughts, to our monuments we build on Facebook where we post our things and we have our memes and the sort of self-righteous stance about game... Like, whoa, we need to chill out a bit and recognize just how provoked the culture is. Because whether... Let me set aside the question of what's the greater redefinition. The culture looks and said, you've done what you wanted with marriage to suit your needs. You've, you've made your Corbins, you've made your exemptions, you've made your things so you don't have to change. Now we want to do that. And you're saying, no, you can't do that, it's sacred. And they look at us and go, that, that's, that's all I'm trying to point out, is as we do that, we, we recognize just how, certainly that's how we're perceived. And I know that, and I pray that in this church and in other churches, there are people who take marriage seriously. But for whatever reason, the church is not known for that terribly well in our country and in the West. That's, 
And I can't challenge generally that perception. That's, anyway. We have got 10 minutes. Yes, Carol. I'm going back to uh, what, what you were talking about in Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart, dishonoring their bodies and so forth, exchanging the truth about God for a lie that the homosexuality and gay marriage and all that stuff is the is the judgment for all of the other sins. And then I was thinking about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, We look at that and we read that and we see homosexuality carried out to the extreme when they're trying to beat down the doors to get to these angels uh, oh. to commit dishonorable acts with them. Well, that was the that was the end. That was the end of their society. They were destroyed, right. and I'm thinking. I, I I always wanted to research this a little more, but I understand historians, uh, Toynbee in particular, and other historians have pointed out that in cultures that have fallen, the acceptance of homosexuality as normal was one of the last things to appear. Uh, before I've the heard, society, I've heard, that, I've heard that as well. Before the society yeah. fell completely, I mean that's a that's a scary thought. So I guess the question I have, if that's the case, is it possible to get the toothpaste back in the tube? You know, and the horses are all out out of the barn. How are we going to get them all back in? And so some people think, well, we're going to do this from a political. Mm. You know, we're going to get the right people elected. We're going to get the right laws enacted, or should we be? standing up for what is right, but should we be spending our time evangelizing and raising our families in the most godly way we can and put our, put our emphasis into that? So that's, that's more of a question there. And I wonder what you think the right answer is, Carol. No, um, just the way, sorry, just the way you phrased it, I, I agree with you. I'm going to vote my conscience, and where I think I can take and help our culture, I'm going to vote for righteousness, I'm going to vote against wickedness, I'm going to try to vote for leaders that will do what is right. But no, I agree with you. Our hope is not in Capitol Hill. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I have no guarantee biblically, and I have no mandate biblically, I have no guarantee that I'll succeed if my goal is to affect the political situation in our country. No, no biblical reason whatsoever to think I'll succeed. Nor do I have much of a mandate. I mean, we should do good as we can. What I know will succeed is Christ's church. And so I'm, I've chosen, at least, to spend my chips to make hay while the sun shines, loving my neighbor, helping people around me. I'm going to vote my conscience. I'm going to do what I can. Other people put more involvement in Great, that's fine. I mean, I, I recognize God calls people to different things, but we, yeah, we need to not lose sight of the fact that our hope is not in this world. We're aliens and sojourners in this world. We should expect to be reviled. We should expect to be looked down upon. I mean, it, we're acting so shocked at this shift in the last decade where Christians went from the position of respect and dominance in the culture to now the Christians who are being faithful are being looked down upon. How is that a surprise? I'm surprised we got the years that we got where we got the seats of honor. Um, and, and we should, we should do what we can, but I have no reason whatsoever to expect anything positive will happen in our country. I hope it does. But I mean, America could fall tomorrow. There's no, God's word would not be contradicted if anything happened. I certainly hope that doesn't happen. I love my country and I, and I want to see it flourish and I want to see people, you know, blessed and my neighbor blessed. But I have no reason to think that'll succeed. 
I do know Christ's church will prevail and the gates of hell won't stand against it. So I'm, I'm, I'm much happier devoting my life to something that I know can't fail and something that, that eternally will have consequence. But different, I mean, it's, it's tough. But yeah, the, the challenge for us is always starting to put our hopes into, and we need to be careful when we think, if only we can get this guy elected, if only we can get this law passed, then we just need to be careful of putting our hope in those things. Um, yes, Candy. Microphone. My microphone ears are slacking. Come on, guys. Just going back to Romans um, 1, verse 28, or mm. no, 26. No, it is 28, sorry. Um, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. So that's not directly talking about homosexuality. Either. That's more talking about all of us, if we choose not to obey God where we're at, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. These are all things that we struggle in. Right. All, all three of the judgments of God relate to the primary, um, the primary thing. What happens in the first giving up in 24 through 25 is he restates the reason and makes the logic clear. Look at 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because, now we're back to the original cause, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So the first one is he gives us over to immorality in general and, and, and debauchery in general. The second giving over is he gives uh, us over to homosexuality and lesbianism because that is a vivid parable of what we're doing spiritually. The third, and there's another word play here, um, the word in Greek, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there's a verb that means to judge, approve. The picture is sort of like, you never buy those shirts or jackets and it's like inspected by number 17 or whatever. Somebody judged this and gave it the thumbs up. It's the Greek verb dokimazo. They did not dokimazo the full knowledge of God. They looked at that and they said, eh, we don't want to keep that. We don't want to hold on to that. We'll swap it for a lie. God gave them, and then you get the alpha primitive, like amoral, asymmetrical. God gave them an adokimazoed mind, an unapproved mind. In essence, what God's saying is, oh, you want to think perverse thoughts? Here's a mind that does that great. That, that's, that's what he does. Um, well, it's like the, you know, the story of the kid who gets caught smoking, the parent locks them in the, the closet. Here's a pack of cigarettes. You, know, you can't come out so they're done. Get your fill of that. <laughs> it's that type of mentality. And so this is not building upon the homosexuality. This is building upon the reject. The affront is this. We saw God and we valued it so little that we traded the truth for a lie. That's the affront. Here's this God whose majesty and glory is immeasurable. That angels cover their eyes, they cover their feet, say, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. We said, I'll worship money instead. I'll, I'll worship sex instead. I'll worship people instead. And we traded the truth about God for a lie, and we worshiped and served the creature and the creator, who is forever the last amen. That's the affront to God. That's what God's angry about. And that final giving us over to depraved mind, only then do we see the laundry list of horizontal sins show up. So if you keep reading from there, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And here's where we're going to start to see those things we recognize as sin. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The, the things that we recognize as sin are really the fruit on the tree that indicate that the root is 
I don't value God. I don't want to hold on to his knowledge. I want to exchange the truth for a lie. And then everything else is a consequence of that. So, so homosexuality is a consequence of that. Pride, debauchery, disobedience to parents all, all come from that same root. It's not as though us and the people who struggle with homosexuality have a different root problem. It's a worship problem. It's a worshiping and valuing God problem is the root of it all. About the marriages, how we redefine our own marriages, what's comfortable to us. Um, also, though, in our own lives, this is spoken to believers and unbelievers. So it's a warning to all of us to look at our own lives, examine us, and get our own ducks in a row, basically, yeah. before you can. You can't change maybe the whole world out there, but you are responsible for what God has entrusted to you, me and my family and those around me, and trying to live the truth as best we can and walk it, but to listen to what God's mm. law is, because the, the main sin is that they knew God's decree, but they chose anyways to not follow what God said in regards to marriage, in regards to raising your children. And Amen. Let me close, I'm going to close with one verse, and this is, I guess, the point I'm trying to emphasize. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 18. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? If the righteous is barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And, and so for every finger we have pointing out there, we got three pointing back at us. And, and let us take seriously. The, I'm not saying stop calling out. The point is, the problem is when you point and you don't deal with yourself. So the, I'm, I'm just calling us to deal with ourselves. And then we won't be hypocrites when we talk. Let's close in our prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, your word. This is challenging. Give us the wisdom to be lights in a dark world, to speak the truth. Um, and even to expose sin. We know that as sons of light, that's part of what we do, exposing evil deeds. But help us to do it not like the Pharisees who are self-righteous, not like the lawyers who looked down on others, but as broken sinners pointing other broken sinners to salvation. Um, but help us to, to do it in the right attitude, in the right way. And Lord, help us to deal with our own house first, to, to deal with our own sin first, um, and so that we can deal with the log in our eye, then we can help our neighbor with the speck in his. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.